This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant. One-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights with your hosts Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rutgers Ramp. Politi and Fonseca here to talk about some uh, Rutgers basketball and eighty-one seventy loss to Minnesota. Sort of takes the air out of the balloon, ends the four-game winning streak. Brian, at halftime, I texted you. That this was such a this what a well played first half. I was kind of excited. Ball actually going in the basket, some offense, some up and down, some, you know, some 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 basketball. And then it then it occurred to me later that that might not be the greatest pace, might be the greatest sign for the Scarlet Knights. And sure enough, the second half, uh, yeah, Rutgers couldn't keep up offensively with Minnesota, couldn't stop them defensively. That's that. Yeah. Uh, it's a very bad sign when Rutgers is shooting 55% and a half. Cliff Amore is 6 of 7. He has 13 points. Everything is clicking on that end. And then you look at the scoreboard and it's 37-37 and a half. Like you felt like Rutgers could not keep doing this offensively, which sure enough, it happened. The kind of magic wore off and they shot 7.7% uh, on threes in the second half. I think they went 3 of 13 on layups in the second half. They just couldn't buy a bucket and their defense, which has been phenomenal during this four-game win streak. It's been unreal. It couldn't stop Minnesota. It couldn't stop their bigs. Their the, their guards were hitting threes. And uh, the score is even probably a little generous to lose by 11. They had a big run in the last three minutes to cut it down to six uh, before ultimately falling down by 11. Um, they were completely dominated for most of the second half. And yeah, it's a, it's a tough way, and, but it, it does make sense that it happened at Minnesota, a house of horrors where the NCAA tournament bid did, NCAA tournament bid died last year or two years ago. Minnesota was down three starters and still beat Rutgers. Um, and it's really they they almost stole an NCAA tournament bid in 2021 if it wasn't for Jacob Young making you know a miracle play in overtime. So it probably in hindsight should have seen this coming, but disappointing way for the 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 win streak to end. And now you have a pretty much do or die game. At number two, Purdue in Mackey Arena. And Purdue coming off a, a lost Ohio State, which uh, I can't imagine feels like good news for the Scarlet Knights. They're going to be angry and motivated. 
Uh, tough place to play, tough matchup. I mean, obviously, Rutgers has won there, so at least they've got some confidence in that direction. But uh, looking at this schedule now, Rutgers has a net ranking of 89, only six regular season games left. I don't know. Does it feel like you got to go six and zero, five and one to to make this a conversation? If, if, and if you don't beat Purdue, is there still another way that you can see that this team would work itself onto the bubble? Well, if you win the Big Ten tournament, you're into the to the well. NCAA I know, tournament. of course, I understand that. Yeah, right. well, I'm, I say that facetiously. That's that'd be the only way they can make it because if they lose to Purdue on Thursday, they have to run the table and go five and zero for the rest of the regular season to be on the bubble, not to make it into the tournament, to have a right. chance to make it into the tournament. If you beat yeah. Purdue, you give yourself a really good chance on Selection Sunday. But if you don't beat Purdue, which I reckon they'll be double-digit underdogs, you're really kind of hoping to win every last game and praying that you make the tournament, assuming you don't win the Big Ten tournament. Right. That gets you to, if you lose to Purdue, you run the table, it gets you to 11-9 of the Big Ten a couple of equality. Wisconsin wants to be a quality win at Wisconsin's a quality win at Nebraska's a quality win, but yeah, it's just this. And we were talking, we we're talking about this, like, you know, the committee is not going to uh, ignore the first 20 games of the season, right? Like we've, we've as much as the Scarlet Knights have looked better and they certainly have since Jeremiah came onto the court and started playing. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like all of a sudden they just, they just completely erase what this team did over the start of the season. And I think that's, what's going to be holding it back. You know, um, that, that, that's just the overall resume still does not get to that level. And I, we think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. The, the winning streak was so good. People are excited, understandably, you know, but this is just the ebbs and flows of the college basketball season. And, and I think, uh, it was natural that this team was eventually going to hit one of these games like at Minnesota. Yeah, it, it happens. And I think the one major thing that's still dinging them on the resume is the lack of quad one wins. They'd get two of them if they win the rest of their games, Assuming not Purdue. If they lose to Purdue and win their last five, they get two more with the road games at Wisconsin and at Nebraska. But they're in danger of losing another quad one win because the road win at Maryland is just teetering on a quad one, like literally on the edge. And you'd like to think the committee would say, all right, Maryland is 76. That's close enough to a quad one win, but you don't, no, you really don't know. You I really don't think don't they know. go that deep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know that they do that. Yeah. And um, I, so I, I, that that's the one thing. And that's the one thing that winning at Purdue would help. It would be a high quad one win that takes this resume from really middling to eye catching. So um, I can't express enough how big this game is at Mackey Arena is if the very, 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 very slim margin they have left for error for the NCAA tournament could die if they lose at Mackey Arena. All right. So let's talk about what they have to do to beat Purdue. Um, obviously, you saw Ohio State. It's possible. This is not some unbeatable team. Ohio State that just did it, just fired. The coach comes out in the first game, fired up, played really well. Two things I think that I, I if I'm looking for something, looking for something to hang on to. I did, I did love the fact how involved Cliff was in the first half of that game uh, kind of vanished in the second half, as you mentioned. That's one thing. And I, all of a sudden, Rutgers is hitting free throws. That's going to be a key if you're going to win on the road at Purdue. 18-22 to 22 against Minnesota. I don't know if you can count on that every game, but certainly a, a good sign. You know, and the bad sign, of course, is, is just the, the, the problem. Four of 19 from three. 24-62 overall, Jeremiah Williams, 2 of 10. You know, still, these numbers, shooting the ball is still just a massive problem. Yeah, look, they, they regressed to the mean against Minnesota. They were shooting over 40% on two straight games leading into it, the first time they've done that all season. And 
on Sunday, they kind of just shot the way they've been shooting all year, right? Like that, that was also part of the win streak. They were kind of out shooting their usual numbers. Uh, and I would say that's the biggest key to winning at Purdue. Just pray that you hit an ungodly amount of threes. Uh, pray that Purdue misses all of their threes. Uh, pray that somehow, some way, the officials go against Purdue at Mackey Arena. Good luck with that one when the referees were going against Minnesota <laughs> at Williams Arena. But and hope that Cliff Omori does what he did in the first half against Payne for an entire game against Zach Eady and hope that Zach Eady has one off game in an entire season in that one afternoon. So essentially everything has to go right for Rutgers to win at Mackey Arena. It's a lot to ask. I, I, I will say this, and I, I tweeted this after the game because we know Rutgers fans are just sitting there waiting to see what I waiting to see my tweet after these games. I kid. Um, Do you apologize yet, Steve? I'm glad I've got yeah. I've, I'm, I'm waiting just for the right moment. I don't. I don't want people to miss my huge apology for criticizing the Scarlet Knights after losing by 16 points to Penn State at home and falling to 10 and 10, two and seven and three or 55th in offensively in the country. I, I want to make for the right point to, to 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 bring that up. But I did tweet this after this game that I was. Uh, I feel. I still feel much better about this team than I did four weeks ago. Even if even after this loss, even if this turns out to be. You know, we're waiting on NIT selection Sunday to see if this team got in. Just things, I mean, just things that they looked, they looked better. They just look better. They look like a basketball team, 16 assists. They're sharing the ball. There's some offensive flow going. They miss a lot of shots still, but they're still, that's happening. Only eight turnovers. They forced 15, even on a bad defensive day when they don't cover the perimeter, give up a lot of open looks. Minnesota shoots them out of the gym. You know, I don't know. I, I still feel like, that the the second half of the, the second half of the season, even if it doesn't result in, in what everybody wanted it to, to result in, gives you some sort of optimism. Do you feel that way? Yes, for a few re- reasons. I think Jeremiah Williams, despite his rough offensive game against Minnesota, was still creating for his teammates. He was still giving them open shots, moving the ball, like you said, putting the offense in a flow. And I think that's very encouraging. Even in games where the shot's not falling, that happens. That's a good sign for next year. Uh, I think what Derek Simpson has been able to do as the off-ball guy next to Jeremiah Williams, also very encouraging. It felt like at times when he was, quote-unquote, the man, there was the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he's not that much more efficient, right? The numbers aren't that much better, but he looks better. He looks like he's playing more confident. It looks like, and his best... I can't remember exactly what game in the stretch, but he had one of his better games and he looked like a really good player, a much better player. And I think that bodes well for um, if he does stick around for next year, he could really be a strong, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth guy off the bench that adds that spark to the backcourt. That would be much needed. So that's very encouraging. And Cliff has been playing great. He's been Mm -hmm. playing great aside from the second half where he had one shot. It's unfathomable to me that he got one shot. I'm not, I didn't watch it closely enough to tell how Minnesota shifted its defense, what changed exactly. But when he's shooting six of nine in the first half, when he has 13 points, when he looks dominant, I think you got to find a way to feed the big man in the post and try to let him cook. But the point stands in the past five games, he's been tremendous. Whether he will be tremendous for them next year and comes back is still an open question. I still don't think he will. Uh, but some interesting comments have been made that <laughs> rekindled the, uh, the conversation. But I would say those three things to me are very encouraging and bode well for let's be real here. They're probably going to make the NIT and I think they'll be fired up to play in the NIT. And when you have those three guys playing at that level, I think you have a chance to make a run in the NIT, which is not what people want. People want the NCAA, but it could be fun. Well, I know that you meant you hit, you teased this and I know if I have questions about it, 
then the fans have questions about it. Maybe Cliff, two words from Dylan Harper. You, you went to see uh, Don Bosco play, talked to Dylan Harper afterward. He said a lot of things and only two words jumped out um, in the course of talking about the guys he's going to be playing with next year. I imagine it was a question about Jeremiah Williams. Um, he brings up Cliff, maybe Cliff. And I don't know, this is like, again, we're probably reading too much into it. It's always been a maybe Cliff. He's always had a year left, regardless, wishful thinking. But, you know, you do wonder if somebody whispered that to Dylan, right? I mean, like, if if he's not just pulling this out, if he's got information that we don't have, that maybe, oh, maybe Cliff, maybe it's maybe it's coming around that way. Do you Did you read it? Did you, when he said it, did you think that? Or am I reading too much into it now? So let's be clear. I yeah, The question was about Jeremiah Williams, how excited he is to play with Jeremiah next year. And he said, very excited. Me, Ace, Lathan, maybe Cliff, the sky's the limit. And right. he said that. That was the last question. We kind of wrapped up pleasantries. I said, thank you to him. I said, thank you to his mother, Maria. I left the locker room and uh, went on my merry way to my car to write. And I'm transcribing. And then I hear, maybe Cliff. I said, maybe Cliff. So I replayed <laughs> it seven times to make sure I heard maybe Cliff right. And he said, maybe Cliff. Um, I think... What you said is probably right. Cliff has always kind of been a maybe, even though we felt very strongly he was going to move on. There's always, The chance is always there. He does have the year. I would think that Dylan Harper does have more inside information than we do. Um, it does feel yeah. like on the outside that there has been some momentum for Cliff just because of the way he's been playing to come back. Uh, but that's all been kind of speculation. Look, I, I still think there's a strong chance he doesn't come back. But if the top recruit... In the following class is saying this stuff, right? Like I, right? I don't know. We might be just yeah. taking what something a seventeen-year-old said off the cuff a little too seriously, but it does. I don't know. It, it was interesting to hear. The maybe in my head, if Cliff is thinking this, it's it's because of Dylan Harper, and he and I think he sees now. All right, well, the first twenty games of the year, I didn't have anybody who get me the ball. It wasn't it wasn't. You know, people were reading into it like, oh, Cliff, what's wrong with Cliff? Well, that was what's wrong with Cliff. <laughs> no, with Pascal, I think we know the answer to that now. Frustrating, difficult start to the season. He sees, you know, all right, this is a showcase again for me with, with someone getting me the ball. And now you've got someone better who's going to be able to get him the ball. Um, I don't know. A lot of scouts in the building. If, if, if you want to make the case to Cliff. You could, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I understand he wants to go. He's not going to get drafted this year of this. If you say to him, like, look, you know, I get it. You want to start your pro career, but, you know, here's another year here. Here's an NBA lottery pick you're going to be passing to. Here's a guy on the wing who's going to open things up even more for you. Uh, I don't know. Is that? There's a case to be made. There is a case to be made. (laughs) And I think you can make a convincing case. But the one thing that's going to be sticking there the whole time is the fact that cliff is getting up there in age which is weird to say about a 23 year old person but uh in the nba world he's getting up there in age for a prospect and you only have so many chances right so right i think you have to weigh how much you could possibly improve your stock next year you say cliff won't get drafted this year i agree i'm not sure if there's anything he could do next year that would get him drafted too right, right? so is it worth coming back for another year? I only, I only watched two minutes of the NBA All-Star game. I don't know that, I don't know that he plays the same sport as the NBA. I get that. I get it. That's just a little joke. But yeah, I mean, I it's a good it's a good question about next year and going forward and beyond as well, of course. Yes. There there is a decision to be made. And I think we're talking all around the subject without asking the man Cliff himself. Uh, I, I'm not sure he's, you know, I don't know where he's at in his head, right? But I think it's an interesting question that will determine 
a big part of this offseason. Because if Cliff stays, that is a major piece to the puzzle right. that you don't have to go into the portal for. And if he does leave, that is priority number one in the portal that you have to hit out of the park because they do not have quality depth behind him. Right. I think that's very clear from what we saw yesterday. Emmanuel Ogble struggled in his two minutes. Antoine Wolfolk tried hard, but just could not defend a quality Big Ten five. He's just right. not capable of doing that. So they very clearly need at at, at least a backup big to add, right? Maybe like mm -hmm. is that guy. Maybe you hope he is. But if you lose Cliff, you need a big man so desperately or else the floor for next year and the ceiling drop. Right. Yes. All right. So we got a bunch of that's a good good transition. We got a bunch of questions about the future from the insiders. Thanks for subscribing. All right, here we go. Uh, Dylan Harper, uh, that's the first one. What should should we expect Dylan Harper to play even better than Jeremiah Williams has mostly been proving to? All right, so you've seen him a couple of times now. I think you probably have a good feel for him. Um, what? Give me your takeaways first of all. And is he already the best guard in this program? It's hard to say because I've never seen Dylan Harper play against college competition. These are grown men, as Steve Peichel likes to keep reiterating, and I think that's a fair point. Now, I think Dylan Harper has a very interesting skill set, a unique skill set that no one on this roster has. Every time I've seen him play, and this year alone I've seen him play six or seven times, he always feels like he's in control. It never looks like any defense is able to speed him up, force him to make a mistake. It always feels like he's practicing alone in the gym, has a live dribble, can kind of go fast, go slow, slow down, speed up, find open teammates, go to the 10, always seems to make the right decision. That is infinitely easier to do against, admittedly, slower high school athletes. He played Ramapo yesterday in the Bergen County Jamboree Final. Their best player is going to Princeton, named Peyton Seals, was guarding him all day, and there was just nothing, nothing, mm -hmm. nothing he could do to stop Dylan Harper. I've seen Dylan Harper play against you know top athletes. I've seen him play against Boogie Fland, Archbishop Stepanak. I've seen him play against Ace Bailey and McEachern. I've seen him play against those guys, and to a lesser extent, he's doing that, but it always still feels like... He is one of the best players on the floor. He can always do what he wants offensively. And I think that bodes well if you could put shooters around him, if you could put Ace Bailey around him, if you can get a three-point shooter out of the portal around him. He can both create for those guys, and then the space that they open up will allow him to really drive to the rim, finish, and uh, he's one of the better finishers around the rim I've seen. So uh, the one thing that Dylan Harper does not have, I'm confident in saying yet, is a three-point shot. I think his outside shooting could use some work. That's probably true of a lot of high school players. Um, and his defense, the motor is not always there. But again, that's always true of every high school player. Right. They don't really play defense. They kind of just run around. And Dylan Harper, for the most part, doesn't have to do that. But yesterday, he was pretty engaged. He was walking around the court with Peyton Seals the whole time. And when he's locked in, uh, he has enough athleticism. Uh, and I think defensive know-how to keep up with anyone. So, uh, yeah, look, I, Dylan Harper's a five-star top three player. Every time I've seen him play... I felt like the ratings were right. So I think it, I'm very excited to see what he looks like at the college level. To answer the original question, I still would give Jeremiah Williams the edge only because he's going to be 22 years old next year. He's going to have three years of playing college basketball, and he's much more of a man than Dylan Harbour. Interesting. Okay. Yes. And I think what I, I was describing to someone, like if you watch if you watch highlights only, then you're like, oh my God, Ace Bailey's the better player. If you watch games only, Dylan, you think Dylan Harper's a better player. And that's just, that's just my, my 10 cent... 30,000 feet takeaway. Um, the few times I've seen him play, I've been really impressed. So I think he's going to be um, legit, <laughs> legit great. 
All right, along those lines, how critical is it for Rutgers to bring in a transfer that can score? If Cliff doesn't come back right now, they only have three options and two are going to be freshmen. Um, it's funny, I didn't, until this was the question kind of put in my, my head, I, I, I kind of hadn't been prioritizing that in the portal. Been looking for a big man, been looking for depth. Uh, do you think they need a they need a shooter? I think so because I think you have a great offensive weapon in Ace Bailey, and Dylan Harper is certainly capable of scoring. But you need, if you can, we say it's like it's easy, like you just go to the bargain bin at Walmart and get it. But right. if you yeah. can get a guy who can shoot threes, much like a certain Mister Cam Spencer, who's just dominating the Big East and UConn, oh if you could somehow hit the lottery with a guy like that twice in three years. That would be a huge boost to spread because these guys are really good at creating offense. Imagine them creating offense in a spread out environment where the shooter is extending the defense and they have so much space to work with. So I think that's probably in a world where we're assuming Cliff O'Mori is moving on. I think priority number one is a quality big man who can defend and finish well enough around the rim to replace him and be uh, a shooter, a sniper, a guy who can knock down, you know, 38, 39%, 40% of his threes, what Noah Fernandes was supposed to be like on paper when they brought him in this year. So I, I, I would certainly think that. And then depth is a question of how many people leave, right? Like uh, earlier in the season, I think a lot of people felt Derek Simpson might be a candidate to transfer. Now that he's playing well, it feels like he might stick around. Um, so maybe that's, you don't need a depth at guard, but maybe you need depth, you know, at forward because, you know, Oscar Palmquist might be moving on. Who knows what else happens in that position? So, um, these things are very fluid, and we'll get a better idea after the first week or so of the portal when uh, most of the movement happens. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Knights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. I think I think Steve Pike will thought he had added that player to his program, and we've got four questions on Gavin Griffith. And why is is Griffith so disappointed in his play, or the way he's being used that he will transfer out? That question we've got a bunch. Um, you know, Gavin is there a shot he doesn't like? He he needs more shot discipline. Is a good one. I mean, it seems like now he he recognizes he's going to play eight minutes. He better get in there and take a shot. He was over two uh, against Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I just just this paraphrase the rest of the questions it, it, it certainly does seem like you know this is a guy who has not really developed in his first year maybe hasn't gotten the opportunity certainly we saw early on defense was a problem for him are you a little surprised that we haven't he hasn't found a role in this team yeah look it's harsh to say it really is but it, he's been a massive disappointment this year based on the ranking he had so a lot of that is due to uh, as our colleague Jerry Carino calls it, the recruiting industrial complex, because if Gavin Griffiths was rated three stars, no one would have all these expectations on him. And But being a top 50 player comes with this stuff. And I have to say, yeah, it's been massively disappointing. He's been brutal offensively. He's missed 15 of his last 16 field goal attempts. Wow. It, if, if every Go through his entire game log. There's not one game that stands out after the Boston University game. That was the second game of the year where you're like, wow, he had a good offensive game. He's been brutal. And that's what he's brought in to do 
He came in with the reputation of a shooter, of an offensive creator, and he's struggling on that end. And then defensively, he's been a little bit better, but it was hard to be worse than he was in the first half of yeah. the year, right? So he's not contributing anything on either end. And I have to think that he is disappointed in his play. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he transferred, right? This just feels like uh, a situation that's kind of gone bad for both sides. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would. I still would be a little surprised. I, I didn't get. I didn't get the sense that they were looking for. You know that that this was this was the kind of you know player who was going to want to bounce around six places. Yeah, he's still at a Big Ten school. Um, maybe after next year, if you, if you get here, I mean, you can. It's again like another guy you could look at. You get a Dylan Harper here, someone who can penetrate, someone who can distribute. You would think. You would think that that he'd be open a lot under uh, in these circumstances. But I guess you're right. If, if you're not getting playing time, yeah, I, I can understand why he would be at a risk of transferring. Just, I, I don't know. You really think he You really think he might jump? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, he's had a horrible freshman year. I, and I think I'm, a, I'm out of the mind that the staff will give up on him, right? I don't think he's going to no. be given the talk or anything like that. That's not what I'm implying. But I have to think that he looks at his stats. It's hard to feel anything other than disappointed. On the outside, I have to imagine how that's how they're feeling on the inside. So, I, look, if if three days after the portal opens, Gavin Griffin jumps in, I will not be surprised whatsoever. That's not me saying he's going to transfer. I mean, who knows? But I personally would kind of shrug my shoulders and say, makes sense. All right. We got a bunch of um, random questions on fun topics. But this, this one, this one we have to address. Uh, what's your take on the coaching staff changes? Uh, obviously, you know, promoting... Scott Fallone to tight ends coach, something they had to do. Great recruiter, a guy who's been in this program forever. You know, that 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 was that was a no-brainer in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, we talk about retaining players a lot, how that's important to the success of the program. Retaining quality young coaches is also an uh, important part. And Scott Fallone, from all accounts, is a rising star in the profession. Great recruiter, energetic, connects well with kids and parents and coaches. Um, and on the field is a good coach. Uh, he's been working closely with Pat Flaherty uh, mm -hmm. for last year. Now he's going to tight ends, which in Kirk Straka's offense is essentially an extension of the offensive line. And you have to think that Pat Flaherty's up there in age, right? Like I don't know how I don't know exactly how old he is. He's got to be what seventy two, something like that. No, yeah. he's not in his seventies. I think he's in his mid late sixties. I'll look that up while you talk. I just my point being, he can't be coaching for that much longer. So I think that you put Scott Vallone at tight ends as a way to keep him on staff, give him a promotion that he deserves. Um, make him feel like he's wor working upwards. And when Pat Flaherty decides to hang him up, that's an easy transition of moving from tight ends to offensive line and keeping, again, a rising star coach in your program because the last thing you want is a guy like that to feel like he's pigeonholed as an analyst, decide to move on to another program, and then becomes a stud recruiter for them, right? So yeah. I think no-brainer, great decision for Greg Schiano. Although, to be fair, I'm not sure how many options he had given that Andy Oreck got hired as the head coach of Harvard in February when most of these coaching cycles, coaching hires are wrapped up, but still made the most of the situation. I think it's a great decision. And I think Scott Vallone uh, has a lot of great work to do at Rutgers yet to come. 67, Pat Flaherty. So I, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to see another, another couple of years. Out of, he, he seems like the kind of guy who uh, <laughs> he's just uh, hardwired to do this. Someone who loves being around a football team, has been around a football team his entire life, unless he uh, something happens, I'm guessing, where to have Pat Flaherty on his staff for a while. Here's oh, someone asked this question. Joe at the shore wanted to know. We need more details on your Chris Ash dinner. What else did you guys talk about? How much was the bill? Was he surprised to hear from you uh, or or for you for him to respond? 
Uh, great question. Yes. If, if people miss this, I had dinner with Chris Ash at the Super Bowl. Um, Chris Ash obviously lives out in Vegas. He was on the uh, Raiders staff, uh, kind of got screwed. This is me saying this, not him saying this, um, by Antonio Pierce there at the end. The, the defense kind of, no question, the defense got Antonio Pierce the job. And then he still managed to clear out a bunch of uh, good assistants on that staff to bring in his own, bring in his own pals. And Chris Ash uh, was not. Well, did not have a chair there. He's, I, he's not going to be unemployed long, I don't think. Um, yeah, it was a good, it was a really nice conversation. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't have any expectations. I texted them out of the blue. I said, "Look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be out in Vegas. You know, let's get a cup of coffee and talk." We never really had that. I feel like you know, in some in some cases, when someone leaves, like you can't wait for the, like as, as someone in the media, sometimes when people leave a job, like you can't wait for them to go, and you just never want to see them again. I don't have to tell you. I think if you're a long time listener to this podcast, you can guess which person, which one person I'm thinking of in particular who had a high ranking job at Rutgers, very happy not to have to have that relationship anymore. Chris Ash wasn't like that. You know, I liked him personally. I mean, it got hard at the end. You're one and 11. There's really not much we can do in the media. You know, we cover every football game. And I even said to him during the dinner, you know, I thought you had a chance and you lost that game to Kansas. And it was my first inkling that this was going to be, this was going to be tough. Uh, and it turned out to be exactly that. Uh, I was a little surprised he answered. Yeah, but it turned out that the old friend of the podcast, Ryan Dunleavy, has maintained a relationship with Chris Ash. He's already meeting him for dinner. I got invited to tag along with that. So it was me, Dunleavy, and Chris. It was a great conversation. Uh, a lot about the NFL. And I think that's part of, like, I get the sense that he's already, a while ago, sort of moved past his Rutgers experience. Um so most of the conversations when we were just shooting the breeze and enjoying our stakes was about the NFL and his NFL experience. And I'm, I think that's really where he wants to land um, if if he gets his choice as to what he's going to do next. Uh, and I think he'd be, you know, right. I think he'd be a really good NFL coach. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't X's and O's wasn't the problem here. Right. Yeah. I think it's very clear that he's a smart, sharp football mind. And the, the hard part of it was being the head coach, the, being the CEO yeah. of working up at that time, money for facilities, of schmoozing with boosters, of being a people person CEO. I think that's part of the job that he struggled with. But I mm -hmm. think if you put a whiteboard in front of him and ask him to draw up a good defensive coverage for a certain offensive game plan, he'd be great at it. So, uh, yeah, the NFL does seem to suit him better. And uh, the, the trend of current college coaches moving on to the NFL because it's a lot less work. I think Chris Ash might have been a pioneer. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. Yeah, I think it's also, and he did mention this, and he said this. You know, I I think he's also at the point where he's going to make this decision for his family, and, and and I get the sense that I I know this for a fact. It's just a very difficult thing when you've got young kids like Chris Ash did, and he even mentioned that one of the good parts about getting fired was that he was he was out shopping for his daughter's seventh birthday, out buying her a bike the next day after we met. You know, he could spend time doing these things. Um, you know, he's going to have to uproot his family again. Obviously that that's, that's not, uh, that's not optimal, uh, but they've got a house down in Florida and Jacksonville area. And he told the story. I mean, it was, it was great. He actually, and I, I, if I had heard this at the time, I'd forgotten about it in this, in the Zan, like this, it was too soon at the Gator bowl. He was down there too soon for us to talk to him. I don't think he would really want to overshadow the team being back in the bowl game. The, the, it was kind of raw a couple with that, that Gator bowl, but he was at that game. You know, he went, he, his, he said his office was in, in the stadium. He walked out into a tunnel and sort of peeked his head out. He said the one person who spotted him was Fooch, of course, which is very funny. Um, but for the most part, you know, he kept a low profile, um, watched his former team. You know, I think, uh, again, like if, if, if we're trying to revisit what happened 
then it was still only two years. Now it's five years. I, I think he's got a different perspective on it. And he really did look good. Like I, I told him, it's like, you know, I, hey, you can see the five years on me still be, still being around Rutgers and covering. You look younger. And he just laughed. You know, I think I think he does. Uh, I think there is certainly a quality of life thing in the NFL that he didn't have in, didn't have in the pros. I mean, sorry, didn't have in college, which which is which is clear for a lot of guys, given what's happening around the sport. So people are right, dying to know. What steakhouse you guys had? Where did you guys? Uh, so, we, so we went out to this it, uh, it Carl Harlow's in, in in like the in like the suburbs, like eight eight to ten miles off the strip. Like I guess out there, he doesn't. And this is this is true. Of a lot of people who live in Las Vegas. He doesn't do the strip a lot. He he lives out in the suburbs. A nice area is really upscale shopping mall. Like, I think Short Hills Mall kind of thing. Uh, and a, just a great uh, just a great steakhouse. I had a wonderful ribeye. It was delicious. Uh, the bill uh, came to a couple hundred bucks when we split it when I split it up. So that was on the expense report. Thank you, Kevin Manahan, for approving that one. So I didn't have to eat the steak and eat the bill. Uh, and then we saw this is great. So we saw celebrities. We saw Kristen Stewart, the actress's father, was also at the restaurant. There you go. Well, that's a bummer. I thought you were saying you saw Kristen Stewart. What, no. What a what a bury the lead. Oh my god. His father, yeah, her father. Yeah, we we had asked the, the person who was with them, and it just was it's that person famous. Oh, yeah, it's Chris Stewart's father. So there you go. Good story. Story time with police over. All right. Uh more questions. Uh, here's a schedule question. Is basketball entering any tournaments next year? Do you have any information on what they're gonna do schedule-wise, except for the constant uh drumbeat of schedules could be better, schedules could be good, schedules could be good. I don't. Uh, I don't think they'll make it into a feast week tournament because it's probably too late. No, most of these things are kind of uh, wrapped up at this point, and unless there's some cha change, like a team drops out, or you know, which is certainly possible, I don't see it. Um, I think they'll try to play some non-conference games away from home, um, maybe at Madison Square Garden, maybe at the Prudential Center. Uh, I, I'm sure they'll play a Big Ten game at Madison Square Garden. Uh, like they they didn't do it this year, but they did it last year with Michigan State. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I do think I've heard that the schedule will be better. The schedule should be better. There's really no excuse for it not to be better. Um, or at the very least at the level that it was this year. Um, but I have no details at this time. Uh, those things are kind of getting ironed out as we speak. And we'll see. But yes, it, it has to be better. We're just hearing things like at Duke, Gonzaga, like all these. And then you end up with, end up with Central Connecticut. You know, they can't do that again. Yes. Yes. The the Duke game at Madison Square Garden does not appear to be happening, which I know was floated around on the message boards. Um, I don't know that for a fact. It just seems like it's not going to happen, but it would be great. I think Cooper Flagg against Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey at Madison Square Garden would be uh, a spectacle if it does happen. You mean to tell me something on the message boards was wrong? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, never there are power that. users on the message boards that have information every once in a while, uh, but this one was case number 99 out of 100 where they were wrong. Myself into a coffee fit. All right, more questions. Empty seats. When I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball games on TV, there are some arenas that have a lot, a lot of empty seats. Is it me or is that true? Uh, or does the attendance seem down with some schools like Iowa and Maryland? Well, certainly Maryland, ton of empty seats. Ohio State, ton of empty seats. I think there's just some, seem that there are some schools that just have them and some that, uh, you know, but I've read a story. Iowa's done another one, right? Iowa, comparatively to the Caitlin Clark experience, the men's basketball team struggling with attendance. So yeah, they're, they're a good number of them. 
I, I was having a men's basketball attendance crisis of apathy. Uh, Scott Dockerman of The Athletic did a really good job of uh, writing a story about that, which I also read. It was really good. Uh, but there's other cases like Ohio State is never going to fill that place out because there's 20,000 seats. It is impossible to sell that out for a college basketball game unless it's Ohio State of the early aughts where they're going to Final Fours and they're ranked in the top five. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Williams Arena is a pretty big arena too. Uh, I think Rutgers benefits from having the smallest arena in the Big Ten and one of the smaller arenas in college basketball at 8,000. I think that's a perfect number for college basketball because yep. that's like just enough that you can fill it out and there's still interest for more because if you made the rack 10,000, there might be half the games that just don't sell out, right? Like yeah, 10, I think they could do 10. If you get to like 13 or 14, it would be. Which a lot of these places are, right? Again, yeah. Ohio State is 18 or 20, something like that. Uh, Michigan might be up there with 13. Um, Michigan State, I think, is a little cozier. But the point being that most Big Ten arenas are like that, which is why a lot of them have a lot of empty seats. Maryland, I can't really explain. That place was an absolute ghost town. But that game was at 6.30 on a Tuesday. So, All right, finally, random question. I love the random questions. Where is the real Scarlet Knight at basketball games? The one that rides the horse at football games. Did they give him the chop? I don't remember ever. I don't ever remember the real Scarlet Knight being at basketball games, and this is going back to you know the, the early days here. I don't. I just think he. That's a football thing, right? I've never seen him at the rack, as far as I can remember. <laughs> and I'm going to rip the real Scarlet Knight. Here you go. This is this is a good one. I'm not a big fan. I don't. I think I'm not a big fan of the actual Scarlet. Knight. I like the. I like the mascot. That's what a mascot's supposed to look like. I don't need another mask. I don't need the horse. And this is when I watched it when I was in the crowd for the game. I came away with a lot of these little observations, but like I didn't need the horse really anymore. I feel like okay, here's a horse, and the horse goes away. I don't know. I didn't need the the the, the cannon. There's just certain things you're like, all right, they've been doing it forever, and they just kept on adding more things, uh, never never took anything away. So if I were to, I'd give I'd give the real uh, the, give the night a chop. That's it. Fire the night. That'd be a good column, right in the middle of August. Politicolon. Night must go. What do you think? Did be classic. It'd be classic. You classic NJ.com. But uh, so I'm I'm all about it. And as a, a min I'm a minimalist when it comes to crowd and game day experience. I think the programs and the professional teams and everyone should do less. There should be no music playing as the offensive team has the ball, as the home team has the ball in the NBA. There should be no music so loud that my eardrums are going to burst during a media timeout at the rack. There should be nothing. There should be fans making noise themselves. There should be organic excitement, not this pumped up corporate uh, kind of just like forcing you to have a good time deal that they do at these arenas. Um, I'm Maybe I'm different from a lot of fans, but if I was going to a game and I had to deal with all that, it would make me want to just sit at home on my couch and watch the game with a better view and a lot less nonsense happening all around me. Let the fans chant. Let the fans do all their, their fun stuff. Yep. That's what makes sports good. Not this, you know, make some noise nonsense. There's not a, I mean, there's not a real Spartan, right? It's just, there's not a real, there's not a real uh, Badger. Well, there's not I, a real align the well, there was a real alignment, but he got canceled for good reasons. Um, there's not a real I mean, think about this. There's not a real yeah, Nittany Lion. There's just a you know, guy in a costume. There's not a you know, you don't need two. And in, in basketball, it's a little different, right? Like Texas isn't bring Bevo, a huge live cow, to the middle of the basketball arena, right? Or is 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 uh Georgia bringing Ugga to the basketball arena? I don't think so. Probably I think so, yeah. Ugga goes, I can go with everywhere. He's just a little dog. I think I'll get. Well, Butler does right. because not basketball. football is basketball, right? right. I don't think I'll give uh, this for, for, for Georgia. Really? Huh. A little surprised. Okay. I, I could be wrong.
There's no Crimson Tide. You don't see Nick Saban coming out with a giant elephant. There's not a real elephant. There's just an elephant. There's one elephant. Did we take that far enough yet? Probably. What else do we got? We got uh, oh, baseball off to a good start, I saw. Lacrosse lost. Wrestling beat Maryland. Good start for baseball. Sweeping Winthrop at Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, bit of a change from the usual Miami opening series. They go to Winthrop, which is a good program, and they won. Men's Lags had a setback against a team that's ranked higher than, to be fair, an Army. Uh, but it's their first loss of the season. And wrestling gets a, a key dual meet win over Maryland as the Big Ten tournament kind of comes up. And I think as disappointed as the fans have been about a, another year without a signature win in the dual meet season, uh, there's always a chance to make up for that in the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament season. So that is coming closer and closer. And the uh, the winter sports are wrapping up, Steve. we got six basketball games left. And uh, it's almost time to do some portal watching and spring football watching. And I'm going to break news on the podcast. You are going to West Lafayette. You're going to Mackey. This is how big this game is. We are traveling to the heartland. It's going to be a first time in Mackey, I assume, right? You haven't gotten there before. I've never gone and uh, looking forward to it. The Mecca of Big Ten basketball. Um, looking forward to hearing what it's all about. And I know it's been compared to the rack as two of the better atmospheres in the Big Ten. And I'll have a first person view uh, which is better? There's not a real boilermaker. There's just piss. There's just Pete. There's not like another boilermaker, right? You're right. No train on the tracks. Let's get the tracks. All right. On that note, let's sign off here. We'll be back to hear all about Fonseca's travels. I want you to. And I really do want you to go deep. I want. I want. Like I've not been to West Lafayette myself. I would. I would like the entire scouting report. Hope you spend some time. Get dinner in West Lafayette. Experience the. You know. The Lafayette experience. It's too much as you can. Let me know how that is. You know, where I, I will. I expect. I expect good answers to that in the next podcast. Um, and we'll be back to talk about the uh, the basketball game, which kind of the rest of the season hinges on. So, thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com/insider.